Good afternoon. It is Friday the 11th of February. I can't believe how fast this year is already going by. This is Chickie Fitzgerald, the founder of the Executive Girlfriends Group, and our guest today is Caroline Dowd-Higgins. And Caroline has been a guest of mine before, I think on my uh, Solutions Live broadcast. But she has written a book called This Is Not the Career I Ordered, Empowering Strategies for Women Who recharged, reignited, and reinvented their careers. And I think we also have a kind of an interesting situation today because uh, Caroline inter- uh, interviewed a number of women for this book, and one of them happens to be an Executive Girlfriends Group member, and that is Tanya Fitzpatrick, and she's actually on the call with us today too. So with that, um, let me just let you introduce yourself, uh, Caroline, and, and we'll just dive right in. Thank you, Chickie. It's so nice to be back, and I'm very glad to uh, be on this call today. I'm very excited about the book uh, for a few reasons. One, it's it's my first book, and I, I did have a great experience interviewing literally hundreds of women all around the globe who have transitioned and reinvented themselves from one career to a new role where they're thriving. And it was just such an engaging opportunity for me, and my goal is to share the wisdom of these amazing women with others. Well, great. And, you know, we had uh, the opportunity to talk some time ago, so it is great to have you back. And, and I think I actually had you on a call uh, for people who were in transition. And it's actually pretty cool because we've got some folks on the phone who have been in transition at various points in time during uh, their membership in the Executive Girlfriends Group. And fortunately, uh, all of them now are gainfully employed or have some kind of revenue flowing or or, uh, promising to flow soon. Uh, But we still do have a lot of folks uh, within the Executive Girlfriends Group who fall into very, very different and distinct categories. And we have women who work for large multinational uh, companies and who hold executive positions there. And some have been there, you know, since the early days of their career and others have been moving around, you know, from large company to large company. Uh, We have another group of women who work kind of for for the mid-tier kinds of companies, uh, all the way down to very small firms, family-owned firms, uh, entrepreneurial and and very, very early-stage venture-backed companies. And then we have the entrepreneur and solopreneur, uh, the consultants and the uh, speakers and authors who have been our past guests. So we have a lot of folks who listen to these calls now on demand. So uh, while we've got a, a large group of folks on the call today who uh, may have some questions at the end, I, you know, I'd like to really, as we talk about each one of the categories uh, of, of the topics that you address in your book, uh, you know, I'd like to keep in mind that we've got a lot of different kinds of women, but you know, they all have one thing in common, and that's they're all Type A. They're all incredibly bright. Uh, they also share a, a very interesting characteristic. Probably seventy to eighty percent of them are the breadwinners in their home. Yeah. And uh, sometimes when you get into a job that pays very, very well, but you're unhappy, or there's something about that that doesn't feel right, um, we get in positions where we need to actually go back to our spouses and significant others and ask them to pick up, uh, you know, while we look. So mm-hmm. I, I certainly have been through that myself. So why don't you set the stage? Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, 
you have a day job other than being an author, and, and I know that you're doing some public speaking now. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that and what got you to this place of writing this book? Absolutely. By day, Chicky, I serve as the Director of Career and Professional Development at the Indiana University School of Law in Bloomington, Indiana. And I've been working in the career and professional development realm at universities for the past 10 years. And this position that I'm in now is relatively new, so it's been four years that I've been working with law students very specifically. And I'm empowering them with the tools to be successful in the job world. It's not enough to just have the legal smarts and the academic background. They need the polish and the finesse to be good communicators and to effectively market themselves, which is something that we all relate to as professional women. And the uh, the impetus for the book came from a wonderful mentor of mine who actually said, you know, you're a career development specialist. You really need to, to start blogging and get out there and write a book. And I thought, well, that sounds fabulous, but I've, I've never done that kind of thing. And before you know it, I, I started interviewing women who have experienced, who had experienced a career transition. And I'll tell you, the energy and enthusiasm was beautifully infectious. And this project just developed in front of my eyes. Every woman with whom I spoke said, you need to talk to my sister or my mother or my girlfriend or my roommate. And and it was just a beautiful way to exponentially build that network of amazing women who survived and are thriving after a reinvention. Oh, that's wonderful. And, you know, I can see how that would happen because uh, I remember in talking to you last time, you know, your your advice is just so incredibly practical. So what I'd like to do is to just, you know, jump right into the, the book. And, sure. Uh, the way that the book is, is organized, you, you begin by talking about learning to sing a new tune. So mm-hmm. if, if you uh, are, are at the stage where this is not the career you ordered, it isn't your expectation, there's something around it that doesn't feel right, tell us about learning to sing a new tune. I will, because learning to sing a new tune is literal and figurative. For me, it was literal, because my first career was as an opera singer. So I I share that with you, because it was such a very specific skill set and such a specific niche market as a musician that I was in a bit of a panic when I had a value shift and decided that I didn't want to be a performing artist anymore. And I thought, how in the heck can I reinvent myself? So that was really the premise of this. I had gone through it personally and went through the emotional angst, the frustration, and the emotional letdown of what is next. But what I want women to understand is that everybody comes to the table with talents and strengths And quite often we just need to get that time to think about what we do well and what we're really passionate about. And this book is all about stepping back and trying to figure out what do you really want, what do you need to meet your professional values, how will that engage your personality and your skills and your interests, so you can really monetize those passions and make them career-worthy. And the the next step, if I if you don't mind, if I just keep going on for oh, a second, is really to help women with very practical tools. Uh, one of the things that I've done beyond my um, my day job at the law school is develop a private practice of individuals that I work with, many of whom are women and many of whom are also career changers, since this is my my niche market, and. 
really, I wanted to empower an audience of readers with some tools and some action steps. So I really see this book as sort of a coaching 101 opportunity for people to go through the basic steps of what they need to do if they're unhappy in their career or if they just want to reinvigorate and re-energize themselves in an existing organization, but perhaps in a new role. And I actually put together what I call a reinvention toolbox. So at the end of each chapter is a, a, a wonderful list and a series of exercises and practical steps and advice and action steps from all the women whom I interviewed in the book. And it's a great collective way to learn from others as well as from me as the author about strategies. Right, and it includes uh, links to various websites, uh, you know, where people have shared shared their stories and and uh, talked about a tool or something that was meaningful to them. Exactly. And exactly. you know, I I just love the fact that it it is immediately applicable. You can you can go through this book and and you can read through these things and then immediately uh, practice them. So the second uh, piece of this is uh, what it sounds to me is that it's about networking and and leveraging the power of women. And, you know, that is really a core tenet of uh, the Executive Girlfriends Group. That chapter is called Utilize the Power of the Women in Your Backyard. Yes, and I'll tell you, I always had an inkling, I always had some idea of the power of women in community before I wrote the book, but it just exploded when I started reaching out to women all over the world. And and as I said, so many of the women that I interviewed were referrals, which was wonderful. You know, I did press inquiries and I, I went through the normal media channels. But it, it started out when I, when I published the book this fall um, that I had at that point interviewed about 120 women. I mean, I'm well over 200 because I still maintain my blog, This Is Not the Career I Ordered, to continue to showcase these inspiring stories. I could do this forever and ever because there are so many amazing women who've gone through this. And my goal is for other women to to learn from their courage and to learn from their strength and also to learn from their trials and tribulations. The women were so generous in relating their honest struggles, and I believe we can learn so much from their candor. Well, I think that uh you know that is certainly what we have found on this group because uh as I said we've had a number of women who have been in between successes uh over the course of the last year or two and I know for them just the freedom to to have a place where they can come to talk about those things and and to tap into folks who maybe are in the place where they're in a position uh to pay it forward which is one of the things that you have talked about uh in that particular chapter. Yes. You know, I, I really believe in paying it forward, and it was it was wonderful to meet all of these women who have done that very thing in a variety of ways. Some entrepreneurs, for example, are donating a percentage of their proceeds toward uh, a charity or an organization that they feel passionate about. Others are paying it forward with mentorship. And I, I firmly believe that, that every woman deserves to create her own personal board of directors with a variety right. of mentors in and outside of your industry who can be there to cheer you on and support you and be your accountability master. You know, our mentors serve so many different functions and so many different roles at different times in our lives. So I would encourage everybody to be conscious of those people in your personal network that can help you move forward to achieve your goals. Absolutely, and I, I've heard that uh, actually described in a word picture of a, a target, uh, the, mm-hmm. the circular target, 
and how on the very outside of that target are, are the people who you uh, you meet once and, and really never will have a way to connect uh, with them again. You think about all the people who you've shared your life uh, history right. and your deepest, darkest secrets with on an airplane and, you know, only, uh-huh. you know, to not have exchanged even first names right. <laughs> by the end of the flight. And then, you know, as you move in the circle, I think certainly social media has come into that next layer where, you know, you may be sharing things about yourself and about your life, but it's not with any expectation of any connection. And then right. you move in one one more layer, and those are the people who you've met and had a really meaningful connection with, and you really could connect with them again, you know, similar to what Tanya did at the beginning of the call with you, somebody you knew, and, and she knew that if she reached out to you, she could reconnect with the other person and, and exactly. where we have that ability. And then, you know, our, our colleagues that we work with uh, is kind of at the next layer. And, you know, people who we choose to spend time with, you know, are in the, the next circle. And I always put the board of directors of my life in the center of that. So I, I love that that made it into uh, that particular chapter. So let's turn the, to the next one, because I think that this is, again, part of this whole story of people who are either uh, desperately unhappy where they are and for one reason or another don't feel like they can move or should move, um, or those people who were stuck for so very long and so many of them who still are, uh, whether it's graduating from college and not being able to find a job or you know, people at uh, the end of a fairly long successful career finding themselves out on the street with uh, fairly little notice. So right. the next one is turn, survive, into thrive. Right. You know, you, you hit the nail on the head when you said that some people are uh, really dealing with layoffs and, and they're victims of the economy, they're casualties of the economy because they've been downsized or fired beyond. It's it's not performance-based, right? It's, it's economy-based, economy-driven because there's a lack of business out there. I'm seeing that a lot in the legal industry, which is what I'm working with my students to try to break into. And I'll tell you, it, it can be really frustrating and really debilitating emotionally when that happens, when someone who have, for many years has functioned so well in an organization and then they're let go for no apparent reason. So I would tell you, go through the emotions, you know, go through the grief, mourn that process, but then really give yourself the clean start advantage because a lot of us have gone through that that absolute change and it can be really invigorating to clear the slate and say, okay, what do I really want? And I say this over and over again, get quiet with yourself write it down. I'm a big proponent of the vision board. Cut out pictures and articles and and whatever speaks to you and be creative about thinking about how you can design that next step. Because as horrible as as a layoff is, it does give you the opportunity to start again on your own terms. And that is so, so very true. And when I take a look back at the times when I've either lost a job or I didn't get the promotion or, right. or the opportunity I thought I should have gotten, right. um, now I look back and I see, man, if I had gotten that, I wouldn't have been available for that next big thing that came along. So, exactly. you know, I think that that is so important. Now, you've already talked about the power of uh, finding the right people to surround yourself with. You get a little bit more specific as you move into Chapter 4, which is about becoming a member of the creativity club right right uh, I, I i had the hardest time this could have been an encyclopedia britannica version <laughs> of all of these amazing women's stories so it was really tough trying to find the the combination of women to make the cut but i but i tried to use variety in industry in age in background and um 
it was wonderful to be to be able to talk to some of these women who were very very creative in starting again, and you know it it gave an, them these particular women an opportunity to tap a creative part of their brains of their psyches that they weren't using in their other profession that was squelched or perhaps just not utilized. Maybe they were they were in a more technical um, position, for example, and they flourished when they tapped their inner creativity because that was an authentic part of them that they hadn't opened up. And again, I want to encourage everybody to think about what are your natural talents? How can you play to your strengths? I understand that sometimes we all take a job because we need to earn money, and it might be a stopgap career move. It might not be the ideal passionate career choice. But when you have a chance to really think about what do I want to do, you can focus on what is meaningful to you. So many clients and so many students that I speak with can't identify their passions in the beginning because they've never given themselves the liberty to think about it. And everybody deserves to be playing to their passions. Life's too short. We spend a lot of time at work. We deserve to be happy. Exactly. Well, that's a good lead-in for the next one, which is learn a lesson from the recovering lawyers. And since we've got one of we your stories we live have, on, we on have the call. Tanya, and I have to say, it was such a joy connecting with Tanya. And Tanya was wonderfully uh, supportive and talk about pay it forward. I mean, she has uh, reached out and is a mentor to one of my um, students who is now actually pursuing law student, this law school. This is a woman that I worked with actually in, back in her undergrad days. And, and Tanya was incredibly supportive and that. So beautiful networking and beautiful pay it forward there. But Tanya is part of a a large contingent of men and women who are burned out on the legal profession. And I see this a lot in uh, intense corporate environments, whether they're law, whether they're government, uh, private sector in any way. Many of the women said, stop the train. I want to get off and, and I'm not playing to my strengths or my values. And I so applaud Tanya and every other woman that makes that choice to say, this just isn't working for me anymore. And, you know, it's tough because uh, lawyers, um, as a profession at the whole, make good money. You know, they work very hard, but they are remunerated accordingly. And it's tough. Quite often we've got those uh, golden handcuffs. But Tanya is a great example of someone who took time to save. She very conscientiously planned. She's my consummate planner in the book. I always refer to her as as someone who (laughs) laid a beautiful uh, plan and really worked in advance, knowing that she was going to start this new venture and had to have the wherewithal to do that financially. Thank you. And and I get to brag on her a little bit too because you you uh, talked about her her heart and and her propensity to pay it forward and uh, actually a couple of the women on this call uh, more more than one of them uh, helped me during my time when I was uh, trying to turn surviving into thriving and I, I needed to go to Washington D.C. Uh, to interview to get a large consulting project and. Uh, I quite literally did not have the money or the frequent flyer miles left to to get an airline ticket, and one of our members did that for me. And then Tanya and I have you know talked on the phone many many times, but we had never ever met in person. Isn't that something? And she actually she and Ian were going to be out of town, and she arranged to leave her key and let me stay in their apartment while wow. they were gone because I couldn't afford a hotel. And you know I mean it may have seemed like a, a small thing, but those are the things and. 
and and people who are in that position where uh, you know, they're trying to lay out their new business, and whether they're recovering lawyers or recovering from something else, there is just so much power in that. So uh, I uh, applaud you, my friend Tanya. Absolutely. That. Cheers to cheers to Tanya. I, may I dovetail on that, Chicky? There, there's a, a really neat thing that um, a mentor of mine who actually wrote the first book, and, and, and you know her, Deborah Stevens, who yes. was the one that, that turned me on to the whole concept of this is not the career I ordered because her first book is this is not the life I ordered. And she wrote yes. that right. with several other women. Uh, she's a very well-known author and has, and has written many, many books, but, but this was the first in, in that this is not the blank I ordered series. And Deborah and her co-authors talk about having these kitchen table conversations where they would solve life's problems amongst the four women. And, you know, I love that model because so much can happen when women come together and speak, whether it's on um, online like we're doing today or, or meeting for a coffee or, or gathering. There is there is brain power, there's energy, there's enthusiasm, and there's support. And when women come together to help each other, that is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And I think it's very unique for women. I don't want to say men don't do it, but I believe we do it really well. <laughs> and I would encourage yeah. everyone, reach out to your girlfriends, reach out to your women colleagues, help each other, and eventually someone will help you, and it's a beautiful feeling to be able to help somebody else. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you talk about a couple of other different kinds of uh, individuals, and it's interesting because as I'm looking through these, I've interviewed so many of these on my yes, radio show. Yeah. Uh, you talk about uh, Angela Jin, uh, Gia Kim. Gia Kim, yes, of course. Yeah, we had her on last year. And uh, anyway, so it's kind of fun fun to look through this. We have so many uh, ties between yeah, us that I, sure I wasn't even aware of. Yeah, and Angela is treasured in my heart because she was my very first interview. I mean, this was two years ago, and I was inspired oh, wow. by her story because, as as you may know and some of your listeners may know, before she created Savor the Success, the women's uh, online networking for entrepreneur uh, resources, and Omaroma, her, her organic skincare line, she was a concert pianist. So as a classical singer, I was very drawn to her story, and I thought, wow, here's a woman that did a major reinvention in a completely different direction. And from a personal level, I was just curious and, and was eager to hear how she did it. And she really was uh, an inspiration for the book. Absolutely. And and uh, I should have been doing this all along, but at the end of that particular chapter, the reinvention toolbox is recognize your transferable skills, yes. develop your professional poise, give, give, get i yes. love that yeah um yeah. so then um we're, we're gonna kind of jump over the work at home moms not sure. that we don't have um women on the call who are moms and who also work and and who happen to get to work at home i i actually was giving thanks for that uh just yesterday when i realized that when my son walks in the door i'm here but yet i'm i'm still the work all like right. working right. pretty much seven days a week but you know uh my kids at least get to see me every day which is a very nice thing so let's talk about connecting with wise women Absolutely. You know, this is one of my, my favorite chapters because Alma Bond is an amazing woman who is probably close to 90 now. When I interviewed her, she was um, 87. And it, it was just extraordinary to me that someone at that point in her golden age 
was going to have a reinvention. And she's trained as a psychoanalyst, uh, had a thriving practice in New York City, and was married to a famous actor, famous film actor, and had always been passionate about writing. But when she retired from the practice proper, from her therapy practice, she decided, I'm going to make a go of it as a full-time author. And she started writing these amazing biographies and became a very well-published and highly sought-after author mm. in a different genre, you know, had always done right. the academic writing, um, the scientific writing. And it was just incredible to hear her talking from her assisted living apartment in New York City, you mm. know, preparing PowerPoint presentations to speak to her women's group at 87 a dynamo. And she said, just do it. Be passionate. Find what you love to do and do it. And I thought, that's a beautiful story from a passionate woman who has lived an incredible life. All right. And so the next one is really about finding that place. It's called Everything Has a Place and How to Find Yours. It does. And, you know, this was a, a, a wonderful group of women that I identified as, as trying to find themselves. They, in particular, had a really tough time because they had what they thought was a dream career. Uh, Carrie DeFabio, who is the first woman in that chapter, for example, was a teacher by training. And she recalled, I can, I can hear her voice on the phone when I first interviewed her. She said, you know, I absolutely cried tears of joy when I earned my degree and my teaching certificate because she had worked toward that her whole life and she was so excited and she felt that she was born to be a teacher. And she had an epiphany a few years in, in the faculty lunchroom and said, this isn't it. <laughs> you know, this just isn't enough. As noble as this calling is and as good as it at it as I am, it's just not enough. So, you know, that's a scary thought when when everything that you believe to be true is no longer true. And and she had this wonderful opportunity to, to transfer those skills and find a new career. And now she's in um, the wine industry. She's a marketing director mm. for a fabulous estate winery in Napa, and she's thriving. She's absolutely thriving. And she tells a great story. She says, you know, if I can, one of her first uh, roles in the wine industry was in sales. That's how she learned about the field. And and uh, the prospective employer said, well, how the heck can you transfer your teaching to wine sales? And she said, look, if I can if I can sell algebra to eighth graders, I can sell wine. <laughs> I thought that was classic. <laughs> it is. And, you know, I mean, I think that's so common of, uh, you know, young girls growing up and thinking that they want to be a teacher. And we had right. a nanny who uh, lived with us for seven years uh, helping to raise my children. And and, you know, she wanted to go to the University of South Florida, and my husband and I, you know, were uh, fortunate enough to be able to put her through school, and she got her teaching degree, and boy, after after the first year, she was so, uh, I, I don't want to use the word discouraged, but uh, so disillusioned. Exactly. You it know, with what the what reality was, and, right. you know, versus what she had thought. So, I, right. you know, I think that that's really a common one of, of people who get involved in something maybe for the altruistic reasons, but right. the you know the reality of life uh, kind mm-hmm. of smacks them. In yeah, the face. I I see that a lot with my young lawyers in progress. You know, they think of, of what uh, a lawyer's life is like is very glamorous based on what they see on television, but that's not realistic. You know, and quite often when they're fully ensconced in the profession, they realize this doesn't fit my values. This isn't what I want to be doing. But the beauty of those women in the How to Find Your Place chapter is that they they figured out how to self-promote and to reinvent right. in the eyes of other people. And that's what it's all about. If you can convince somebody else what your strengths are, then you have opportunities to move forward in a new direction. 
Okay, and then the next one, uh, and which is the uh, penultimate chapter uh, in the book, is a call to nurture about using a coach best practices and honoring yourself. Yes, and and I will tell you, you know, a lot of women are self-directed, especially we, the the type A personalities. Um, many of us have launched into entrepreneurial ventures, and the the statistics are telling us that um, there are more women entrepreneurs now than ever before, which I think is really exciting and really empowering, and women are doing wonderful things, whether creating products or, or delivering services. And I would say 80% of the women that I interviewed are now in entrepreneurial roles by choice. Really? They, yeah, which was, which was incredibly um, interesting to me because they, they were frustrated with organizations that had low ceilings and they were frustrated with bad bosses who were not good leaders. So they became their own best leader and their own boss. But what what I find interesting about the call to nurture is that these women all utilized a coach in some way, and they, they tapped their resource team. Sometimes it was formal with a career coach or a business coach. Sometimes it was their personal board of directors. But they sought out the help and the guidance and the assistance of others. And, you know, as women, we tend to be nurturers. It was lovely when we were all introducing ourselves at the beginning of the call. I, I don't have children but i have dogs and you know they're my my furry kids and it, it it's lovely to hear how nurturing women are whether they're with partners or spouses or or kids or, or fish pets. <laughs> yeah or fish very important you know we have that in our dna and and these women are thriving in their new career role because they are nurturing and they're honoring that part of their human being and it, it's lovely to see them thriving that and they're they're not all mothers but they're right. nurturing in their careers. Very interesting. Well, and again, I think you know it's one thing uh, when as we're growing up. Again, uh, I had a, a a very nurturing mother who was a, a full time. You know, she was a teacher. She taught music, and uh, you know, I always wanted to grow up to be like her. And then later in life, I found out I was way more like my dad, and that that nurturing gene. Uh, you know, wasn't as deeply embedded in mm-hmm. me as I would have liked. So that that's something I actually have to to work on. So uh, it's good to hear that I'm I'm not necessarily alone in that. Not at all. Not at all. Yeah. Well, and the last chapter is, of course, uh, you know, one that I'm very fond of because it's uh, really called the force of the sisterhood. And I know a lot of people, when they hear terms like sisterhood, they, you know, think about the the women's movement and, and uh, you know, people who are perhaps even a little bit more militant about mm-hmm. being a woman. But I, I actually find it a very fond term. So why don't you tell us your favorite story from that chapter? I do, I do too. So thank you for mentioning that, Chicky, because it was interesting when I had, uh, you know, outside readers and editors, uh, it was interesting to hear the male and female perspective of the term sisterhood. And unconditionally, the women embraced it. But many of the men, because I did have some, some male editors and readers, perusing initial copies, they all uh, reacted to the term of the sisterhood. So isn't it fascinating how genders differ in how they absorb that term? But I think it's incredibly powerful. Um, I've, I found the entire process of connecting with amazing women very empowering and very motivating, very inspiring. And I believe this book is sort of a hybrid of motivation and inspiration and self-help. So it, it can live on either shelf at the bookstore because I really want to empower women with finding their own mission, tapping into their own strengths, 
And Heidi Roizen, who is a, a very well-known um, former venture capitalist who now uh, serves on many board of directors for uh, large corporate entities, shared with me, she's one of the women in the book, our careers are like marathons. And no matter where we are in our lives, we always need to think about the next five-mile increment. And I love that concept because quite often when we're young in our careers, we think whatever the next job is will be our lifetime job. And the reality is that's just not the case. Right. Organizations not don't anymore, have that anyway. kind of loyalty. Right. They don't have that kind of loyalty. And people have the opportunity to change by choice or necessity. So this is a gift. This is a gift that we can recreate whenever we want to. But the force of the sisterhood gives us the option to achieve those goals and also to set those goals. And I think some women were fearful in the beginning about setting a new goal that was outside of their comfort zone. I learned a lot about risk-taking, and I also learned a lot about making choices through the eyes of these amazing women. And again, I found that incredibly inspiring and motivating. A lot of women took great risk to try a new career. And it was scary, and they shared that palpable uh, feeling very vividly in, in, my, in their interviews. But it made me feel that they were going to empower the next generation of women who were willing to take a risk, and that's an exciting thing. We also talked a lot about work-life balance, you know, that uh, all-elusive theme of work-life balance. And, you know, uh, the resounding message was there is no balance. It's, it's a matter of... Um, juggling priorities, and sometimes you're going to be able to prioritize yourself or your family or your partner or your spouse, but there is no having it all. It's having it all in little chunks at little points in time. And that was comforting in a way to hear so many women echo that sentiment, right, that it's not about just doing less. It's it's working smarter so you can prioritize yourself when you need to. Well, and that's, you know, one of the things that I, I talk to women about when, you know, they're they're constantly apologizing for actually not being able to make the Friday calls. And so many of our calls are actually, you know, directly related to their professional life. But I think, right. you know, we've got a culture now that does not embrace the value of, of training and, and, and learning and, and the kinds of things that we talk about every Friday, whether it's leadership, mm-hmm. innovation, growth, um, you know, and, and again, this one, perhaps, uh, you know, an employer might look at, at the title and say, well, you know, why are you participating in this? But it actually mm-hmm. helps you find uh, happiness where you are in many cases, that you can look outside and see all of these other things that you could do. And, and that uh, actually, as we move through life, we find out the things that we tend not to like about jobs are the names and the faces of the people who who are, uh, you know, kind of in our path, not letting us get where we need to be. And you know, learning how to deal with that uh, because it does tend to repeat itself over and over again until we work on th- that within ourselves that, uh, you know, keep that from happening. Exactly. And it's not always about changing jobs or changing industries or having a an entirely new career. Sometimes it's tweaking and, and trying to figure out how can I really create a role within my organization that's a better fit. And it's been wonderful to hear the feedback of many women that women who read the book and said, you know, this really – Uh, struck a chord with me because I love my company, I love my organization, but I'm not in the right role. I'm going to talk to my boss about how I can be better utilized in this organization. Mm -hmm. And we all know that means better productivity in the long run for the company and that woman. So that's wonderful to hear that kind of feedback. 
Well, this has been really, really terrific, and and uh, I haven't actually made it all the way through the book, but uh, you know, I did page through, and and um, again, the the very, very practical tools I think can are even helpful to the entrepreneur. You know, those of us yes. who who have made that huge yeah. leap off to to work for ourselves and to not have to be put in that role of. Uh, you know, reporting up to someone else. Although uh, in consulting, definitely we continually uh, have to report to our clients. But right. Uh, right. this too shall pass if you happen to get one uh, that isn't a lot of fun to work with. Um, but I, I just so appreciate your time. And again, last time we were talking primarily about people who were in between successes, and I, I would still love to do a, another special. Uh, show for that because I know sure. we still have many women within the Executive Girlfriends group who have not found their, their way yet and have not yeah. found that place. And it's and a journey. So just, yeah, and, and hearing the encouragement from those who have I think would be uh, really great as well. Absolutely. Well, I do want to open it up and see if there are a couple of questions and then uh, if there are uh, no questions or comments, we will move right into our drawing that we are going to do today. And, and the very first one of those is going to be for your book. So, oh, lovely, uh, lovely. So actually, in fact, rather than drawing, how about if we let the first question or comment get a copy of your book? There you go. <laughs> okay. Uh, don't forget to unmute yourselves. Who would like to be first? Hello. <laughs> well, Hello. I, I, I never resist. You know, I have to. I have to have a comment or a question. Ah, okay, <laughs> Michelle. So Michelle wins a copy of the book. Well, no, I just can't ever be quiet. That's all. But, um, <laughs> well, that's okay. But I appreciate. I appreciate uh, your time today. It's been very insightful for me. And, and one of the things that I struggle with is that it, it, my education is very um, technical: computer science, yes. accounting, and finance, which to me, leaves very little room for creativity. Uh You know, creative accounting gets you in trouble. Right. In some cases. And so what I personally have tried to work through over the years is how do I get to and embrace that that creativity, I don't know, node or passion, anything. Um, Right. How do you find it? What, what What do you think about? You know, Michelle, that's a great question, and clearly creativity is an important part of what makes you tick. Can you put your finger on anything in particular that you like to do? Are you an artist? Are you a musician? Is there anything specific, or are you just looking for that? The, the, the happiest I've been are doing two things. One, running marathons, mm. which at 54, 55, I don't do much of that anymore. I, could, I should, but I just don't. And two is, you know, the the passion with the children and mentoring yeah. the children. And I'm one of those nurturers that is not a mom myself. Right, right. But we are surrounded by children. I, I can't even tell you how many children have come to stay with us. And we actually have another friend who's looking at their son coming to stay with us to be in school next school year. Um, because we have the time and we can can help them through that. And Lovely. those are the two things. I don't have the artistic, the music. The and that's okay. That's okay. And artistic is such a broad term. I just didn't know if there was something in particular we were talking about. But let me share with you a powerful lesson that I learned is we can embrace our vocation, which is how we earn our living, 
and our avocations together. As I mentioned briefly in the beginning, I'm a singer, and I would just shrivel up and die if I still didn't have performing in part of my life. So that is not my vocation. That's not how I earn my livelihood, but it's absolutely a part of my avocation. I still perform, and I prioritize that in my non-work hours because it's that important to me. And it's beautiful to hear you talk about mentoring children and and being there and being on their respective board of directors, right, and and being an advisor and a mentor and a friend and and a role model. That's a wonderful thing. That can develop organically with these uh, personal relationships that you talked about, or you might even consider, if you have the time, volunteering and being involved with schools or nonprofit organizations that focus on youth. That's a beautiful way to tap your creativity. Very interesting. Something I hadn't thought of outside the yeah. church. Yeah, and it, and it might really gratify you and bring you tremendous satisfaction. And, and believe it or not, it might even energize you at work because it's an outlet. It's a creative outlet for you. And in a way, you you come home and you think, ah, I, I have this wonderful opportunity to serve as a volunteer, and that can energize you. Interesting. Yeah. So think about that. Yeah, think Thank about that. You. But Thank you very much. Absolutely. Thank you for your comment. Okay, any other comments or questions? I have a question. This is Amanda Carlson. Hi, Amanda. Hi. Um, I was wondering, in your interviewing of all these women changing and entering into their own companies, did you um, speak with them about dealing with all the other tasks and duties that aren't really part of their their asset base and their qualifications? How did they... Did you did you have a common thread? Yes, I did. That's such a great Amanda. question. Yes, thank you for raising that. You know, the universal message was don't try to do what you can't do really well easily. Don't teach yourself how to create a website. Hire someone that can do it well. Put your best foot forward and invest your time and your resources, even if they're limited, in hiring out or jobbing out with with you know, great volunteers, there's a lot of barter and trade opportunities, it's not all about spending money, but do what you do really well and then delegate to others. And the women who shared that said, I learned that the hard way. You know, one woman talked about teaching herself uh, web design and she said, yeah, could I do it? But I also spent eight months learning the ropes and my website still looked kind of rudimentary. So she said, I lost eight months of productivity where I could have hired someone to do it really well, and I would have been up and functional faster, right? So I, I would say that, that they all said, find other people who do what you can't, so you can do what you do to the best of your abilities. So I hope that might be helpful for you. Yeah, and I will definitely echo that. And and it's a learned behavior, Amanda. It, it really is a choice. And uh, we had a, a meeting yesterday about uh, one of the projects we're working on, and one of the people who was here was asking me to do something. And, you know, the old me would have said yes, and, you know, and I – kind of hesitated and then I said no I just I can't do this and I don't have the time and Rebecca was here and she's like yes yeah good for you no yeah so it it isn't something that you can just say oh okay because clearly you've also got the uh dynamic of not having all the money that you'd like to or you'd you'd hire people to do those things to begin with but I think Caroline's point is very important that you know if you trade off the amount of time you could have been spending on revenue generating activities that you burn off up on administrative stuff 
um, you know, you, you get to your goal way, way faster. And I have to say, too, I, I learned tremendous lessons from women who utilized interns, you know, and interns might be college students or high school students that bring a particular expertise to the table. Um, a year ago, again, the book was, was a two-year pipeline, but but it was published in, in November of 2010, so it's it's still very fresh. And the the point is, social media was not even at the height that it is now two years ago when many of these interviews were being conducted. So a lot of women tapped college students to help them with their social media campaigns. This was before social media experts hung out their shingle to create your Facebook pages and your Twitter pages. So they had young folks doing it for them. And it was wonderful because it opened up a whole new world to them that they just couldn't wrap their brain around. Mere honey. So that's okay. something to think about. And the whole idea of bartering and swapping and trading is alive and well. You don't necessarily have to pay Absolutely. for it. Absolutely. And uh, if anybody needs help with that, that happens to be a particular skill of mine. I uh, I wrote a contri- contributing chapter to a book called Bootstrap Business, and mm-hmm. I can attest to the fact that you don't always have to pay cash. All Hello? right. Do we have any other questions? Hey, okay, I think, hang on just a second. Let me mute Carolyn here. Oh, yeah, he's got a new one. All right. Well, um, why don't we move on into uh, doing our drawing? Because I would like to record this since uh, our winners may not be on the phone. And uh, as I had mentioned, my daughter is wanting to help with this. So um, I will this on speaker and introduce Kira to you. Okay, Kira. Yes. I have a big basket here. Hang on just one second. Let me start the recording so that they can see on uh, screen. Hang on, one, two, three. All right. And as I mentioned, this basket is full of uh, names that have been uh, written and folded up. And those people who have... uh, got either charter or premium memberships that were paid for this year, got uh, three different entries. Uh, A regular membership got two. If you completed your profile uh, on AG, which uh, shows you 100% on the screen, you've got one entry. And then for those who are highly engaged, we also uh, had uh, a number of entries. So if you had 1,000 Karma points, 2,000, et cetera, you've got uh, additional pieces of paper in here. So we've got uh, a really good representation of those who are really engaged in the Executive Girlfriends group. So, Kira, let's draw the first one for a one-year free basic membership in the Executive Girlfriends group. So if you're already paid for 2011, this will take you through 2012. Okay. And the first name is Jennifer Rift. Sorry if I pronounced your name wrong. Jennifer Powie Rife, and Jennifer is one of our regulars, but she is not on the call today, so she will be happy to hear that. All right, let's do our next one, which will be a free uh, Executive Girlfriends Group mini retreat. We have these twice a year, and our next one is coming up at the end of March uh, in conjunction with a travel industry conference called Travelcom. We'll be in Las Vegas on the 29th of March. Uh, We're having a fabulous uh, dinner at a mansion uh, that is just about 10 minutes south of the airport. And then we will also have another one in the fall. Again, that one is typically held in conjunction with Focusrite, which is another major uh, industry conference for uh, 
a lot of us in, in uh, egg who are in the travel industry. That one will be held uh, down close to our friend Carolyn Paseglia um, in Miami. So, Kira, why don't you pick another one for us? Okay, let's get one on the bottom. And that winner is Cindy Allen. Okay. And I happen to know that Cindy plans on coming to the one in March, so she will be very happy that uh, that is already uh, taken care of for her. Okay, uh, before our big drawing for the iPad, how about a one-year premium membership? So an upgrade uh, to our premium membership, which includes having a uh, one-hour consultation with uh, one of our board members, Libby Gill, on personal branding, and also a free membership <laughs> in PlumLife.com. Okay, that name is Cindy Allen. Okay, let's draw a different one. Okay. So Try again. Okay, that other name is Betsy O'Rourke. Okay, Betsy is with Royal Caribbean. Note that here. Okay, and for our grand prize winner for an iPad. Who is the lucky winner for that one? And the winner for the iPad is Linda Kent. Linda Kent. Okay, Linda is with Wyndham Worldwide. So I appreciate that, Kira, and thank you very, very much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. Good job, Kira. <laughs> Thanks. Okay, let me uh, stop our recording and then we'll just uh, complete the rest of our call. Hang on one second here.